But let's pray before we start, and more importantly, and ask God to bless our service this morning. Lord God, we, uh, we do thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you, Lord God, that we have the ability to proclaim your word uh, in open. And Lord God, you give us that freedom. And I pray that we would just take advantage of, advantage of that, Lord God, every moment that we have the freedom to proclaim your name, to read your word, to worship you. And we ask that you would bless our time this morning, Lord God. I pray that as your word goes out, that you would speak to every heart that is in this room this morning. Lord, you know each and every person, uh, where they are at spiritually, where, what's going on in their lives, what they need, what they don't need. And I pray that as your word goes out, Lord God, that you would minister to each heart. And we ask for this in your son's name. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at verses 67 through 80. The, the title of this morning's message is Praising God for Christmas. I know I was talking to a friend this week at work, and uh, he's not a believer, but he doesn't like Christmas. He, can't, he said he can't wait for it to be over. And, and I know it's, it's not because of what Christmas really means. It's just because of all the things that we talk about and that we go through, all the busyness. And he's like, when I, we get our Christmas tree and I take it down Christmas night, and I just want it to be over with. I was like, dude, you're like the Grinch and the Scrooge rolled up into one. But, but I was telling him, I said, if you, well, it's just because you miss the meaning of what Christmas truly is. And you would really, not that the Christmas tree and all that makes Christmas, but it kind of adds to the feeling and, and gives us time to stop and reflect and slow down and think about what Christmas truly is. And this morning as we look in the text, I want us to do that. I want us to, to take time to fully understand the joy and the meaning and blessing of Christmas and appreciate it, not just this Christmas season, but all year round. So I hope this morning that that happens, that you will see that. And this morning we're going to look at Zechariah's song of worship or Zechariah's prophecy. If you remember in chapter 1 of Luke, and we studied this a few weeks ago, Zechariah was promised that he would have a son. But the, the great thing about the birth of his son, not only was it going to bring Zacharias and Elizabeth joy, but it was going to bring many great joy because of his ministry and the, the message that he was going to proclaim. You see, his son was going to be great in the sight of the Lord, and he was going to get everybody ready for the coming of the Messiah. And so this is where we come to in this morning's message, and starting in verse 67. So Zachariah's son, John, John, who's known as John the Baptist, he has been born. And Zechariah, knowing all that his son is going to be and, and the meaning of the birth of his son, breaks into this great praise. And in this praise, we're going to find two things that Zechariah is praising God for because he knows what it means. And that's going to be he's going to praise God for his redemption and praise God for salvation. And I hope this morning as we go through this text, you really take time to sit back and say, wow, that, that redemption is just, you know, as you understand it more and more, you, you begin to realize the, and the, the magnitude of what it means that you've been redeemed and that you've been saved. And so let's look at this morning's text and we'll go through it and then we'll come back and I'll point those two things out this morning. So Zechariah verse 67, it says, And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption 
for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. So those are those two things that I talked about, redemption and salvation. Right from the beginning, Zacharias praises God for that. And he goes on in verse seven, the second half of verse six. In the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in the spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So this is the beginning, again, of the birth of John the Baptist, and Zechariah praises God because of it. Now let's go back into the text and look at those two things that, that I had mentioned. I just spilt water. Hopefully nothing shorts out on us. Okay, so Zacharias is praising God because of what Christmas meant. And when I say Christmas, don't get me wrong, it's, what, it's the birth of Christ. He's praising God because of what the birth of Christ meant. And those two things, again, are, are redemption and salvation. So let's go back to the text and look at those things in a little bit more detail. So what does redemption mean? Look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Well, redemption means, it's a, means to ransom. It's the purchase back of something that had been lost by the payment of a ransom. In Scripture, it refers to the payment of a price to release someone from bondage. So God ransomed his people. He bought them back. That's what he's talking about. And this is what Zacharias describes in his song in verses 71 through 75, which we'll get to in a few minutes. So he's praising God for this because God has purchased his people Israel back. And he's doing this in a number of ways he'll describe. Number one, politically, Israel was in bondage to Rome. So Zacharias is, is prophesying that God is going to buy his people back from the bondage of slavery from Rome. Secondly, and more importantly, spiritually, Israel was in bondage to sin, both of which Israel was in need of a redemption. So he's looking at God's coming or Christ's coming, the Messiah, that he's going to redeem them from their bondage, first from Rome, secondly from sin. And I'll show you how he, where I get that from in a few moments. But before we do that, let's look at how is redemption accomplished? Because you notice that Zacharias is saying that God has visited us and accomplished redemption. Like it's already happened. How how has this happened? Well, Zacharias sees this promise as something that is sure to happen. Because at the time of his prophecy, obviously he's speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus hasn't been born yet. 
But Zacharias, looking at the promise of his son coming, sees that if my son was promised to me, then God's other promises of the Messiah are also sure to come. And not only that, his promise of redemption will also come. So it's like God's inauguration, the time of inauguration has come, and starting with John the Baptist. And this is how he sees this. So redemption is this. And we're going to flip through a few verses to show you what, he's, what he means by redemption or what Scripture talks about in regards to redemption. Because, again, Zacharias, not fully understanding what the redemption of the Messiah meant, because, again, he's thinking first and principally that they're going to be redeemed from Rome. And if you know history and, church and Scripture specifically, Israel isn't redeemed from Rome right away. But there is another meaning, and more importantly, a spiritual meaning, which we'll look at in a few moments. But let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, and let me explain to you what redemption means in Scripture, and specifically how it applies to the nation of Israel and to us as well, for all those who believe. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it's going to talk about how Jesus took our place in redemption. In Verse 13 says this, Christ redeemed us, so there's that word redemption, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that's part of what redemption means, is that Christ bought his people back from that curse of the law, and that curse of the law is that you will suffer the wrath of God. Because you're under law, you will suffer the consequence and the punishment of law. And Jesus took that punishment upon himself and redeemed us, his people. And in Ephesians chapter 1, if you go back or just go forward one book from Galatians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it talks about redemption a little bit more. It says this, in him we have redemption through his blood. Again, speaking about how it was accomplished, his blood on the cross in him, we have redemption th- of, through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So again, this isn't speaking, as you know, this isn't speaking politically. It's speaking spiritually. The redemption that we first receive is from our sins, and that was accomplished on the cross. And again, Zacharias is prophesying this before it happens, but he sees it as something that is, ab- is like already accomplished, that it's for sure. And again, I I credit that to his trust in God's word. Lastly, and I like this one most most of all, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 11 through 12, it talks about our redemption being eternal, meaning it's for good, it's final, it's not going to be taken away. We live in a very temporal world where all the things that we have eventually will be taken from us, right? We don't hold on to everything forever. But here, our redemption is eternal, and that's why I like it. And starting in verse 11 of chapter 9, it says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered into the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Your redemption, if you're a believer, is eternal. It's secure. It can never be taken away from you. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, that's something to sit back and thank God for. Praise God for Christmas. 
in that sense, that Christ came and redeemed you and me eternally. Nothing can take that away. So again, here, Zacharias looking at all these things as redemption has been inaugurated at the birth of his son because his son is going to proclaim all these things. And this redemption continues even today, right? Every time somebody comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him with their life, redemption takes place again. So it is something that is going to continue on until the second coming when Christ comes and redemption is finally consummated where, we're, where everyone and the last person is redeemed for good, fully consummated. So back to our text now. I hope that gives you a better understanding of the magnitude of redemption. Christ brought, brought us back from the penalty of, of our sin. And so this is what Zacharias is praising him for, right? For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. In verse 69, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. So the second thing that Zacharias praises God for because of the birth of Christ is salvation. So redemption and then salvation. And salvation meaning deliverance, to be saved. So Zacharias sees the coming birth of Christ as the promise of deliverance. As you can see, he says he has, he has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. So he's remembering the, old, the prophets of old proclaiming that the house, from the house of David salvation will come. And he recognizes that that's who has come in the birth of Jesus Christ. So what did they need deliverance from? Specifically, the nation Israel. Well, as I mentioned, he sees this, this liberation from political bondage from Rome. But the principal meaning, as I've been alluding to, is salvation from the guilt and power of sin. Look at verse 71 for a second. So this is the political side. Verse 71, he says, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all those who hate us. So that has not yet happened for the nation of Israel. As, as again, mentioning history and scripture, as we look back, when Jesus came, he did not deliver Israel from Rome, did he? No, he delivered them from a spiritual enemy. But there is a time when God will deliver his people from all enemies for good. And that's at the second coming. And I'll, and I, I'll mention that in a few moments. That's going to be fully consummated at that time. But I think the principal meaning of this passage is more spiritual. Because drop down to verse 77 when Zacharias begins to talk about his son John and his message. Look at what he says about salvation in verse 77. He says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation... By the forgiveness of sins. So salvation principally he's talking about here is being delivered from sins by being forgiven. You see, all humanity has sinned against God, not just the nation Israel. All humanity and all humanity is guilty before God and worthy of punishment. Sometimes we forget about this once once we're saved. We forget about the magnitude of the salvation that we've received. So again, all humanity is sinned against God. All humanity is guilty and worthy of God's punishment. Therefore, they all need a Savior. But guess what? We cannot atone for our own sins. And Zacharias recognized it. That's why he's, the entire nation has been praising, praying to God for a deliverer to come, and he has come in Christ. Because without Christ, each and every person is helpless. 
and they need a Savior. And Jesus, at his first coming, he had come to save and deliver his people from the wrath of God. If you turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 5, verse 9, this is exactly what he says he has delivered his people from. Romans 5, verse 9 says this, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You see, we seem, to, we seem to forget what salvation means. Salvation means we're saved from the wrath of God. Each and every person, because they've sinned against God, because we've broken God's laws, we deserve to be punished. That's what we deserve. But Christ came, redeemed us, and saved us and delivered us from that. And Zacharias is praising God for that because he knows that redemption and deliverance has begun. Going back to our text now. So what is the purpose of redemption and salvation? It's not just to avoid those things. We've been redeemed and saved out of something, and we've been put into something else. Look at what he says going down to verse 74 and verse 75 of the text. He says, To grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, so we've been rescued, And look at where he puts us, that we might serve him without fear. So we've been redeemed and delivered, saved, and put into something else, put into serving God. So we get saved and redeemed, not just to say, hey, I'm saved and redeemed, and that's all that happens. No, you were saved and redeemed to serve God. Look at the rest of verse 75. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. So the purpose of redemption and salvation is to serve God without fear, meaning without hindrance. There's nothing holding us back now in our service to God. In holiness, meaning we've been separated to God. And thirdly, in righteousness, to live as God's people. So we've been saved to serve God. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, um, the Apostle Paul expresses this purpose very clearly, and I, I like this verse, so I'm going to read it to you. Titus 2.14, he says this, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. So there's that redemption part. So Christ redeems us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You see that? So we've been redeemed so that we might do good deeds. Again, We're already saved, and we do good deeds out of thankfulness to God. So God saves us out of lawless deeds and puts us into good deeds so that we might glorify him with our life. So that's the purpose of redemption and salvation. Once we're saved, we don't just sit around and say, hey, I'm saved, and and that's all. That's it. No, God wants to save us, and he wants to put us into action, into service. It's like being on a, like on a baseball team. Hey, I got the jersey, I'm on the baseball team, and I just sit on the bench, and I never participate. No. No, you're on the team to participate, to further God's purposes in life, to further God's kingdom in life. So redemption and salvation and true worship, which he's talking about here, redeemed, salvation, and serving God, these are experienced at the second coming in the new heavens and new earth fully. So we do it now in part, but when Christ comes at the second coming and establishes the new heavens and the new earth, we are going to do this without hindrance and holiness and righteousness. Look at this, the last chapter, Revelation. Look at verses 3 through 5. 
just kind of expands upon the purpose of redemption and salvation. So this is look at our future as believers. Verse 20, uh, chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. And, and the Apostle John here is talking about the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. He says there will no longer be any curse. So the curse of sin. Right? All that's going to be gone because even now we still experience sin in our lives. Right. So in a sense, we've been redeemed in part, but at his second coming fully and completely, none of it will exist anymore. There will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the end of the lamb will be in it. And his bond servants, look at this is us, will serve him, will serve him. See, we've been redeemed to serve him. So even in our future, in the new heaven and the new earth, in some capacity, we are going to be serving him unhindered in righteousness and holiness going on. He says they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. There's that eternal redemption. That is our future. Redemption, salvation, and true worship will be fully experienced again at the second coming of Christ. So, again, as we read Zechariah's song, all that meaning is in there. He might not fully understand it, but if you remember back at the very beginning in verse 67, he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he prophesied these things. And the Holy Spirit helped write or orchestrated the writing of the New Testament. Therefore, all that meaning is in there, even though we might not see it or understand it at our first reading. But the fullness of the scripture helps, helps us to understand what it means to be redeemed what it means to be saved, and what it means to serve Christ. So the first part of his song, again, in verses 67 through 75, are talking about the Messiah, the, the reason that we're celebrating Christmas. In verses 76 through 80, now he, he turns to his son, who is the one who gets to serve God with great honor. Look at the, the remaining verses. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's talking about his son. So his son's role is that he's going to be the prophet of the Most High God. And his mission is in the next following sentence. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. So his purpose is to go out and start explaining to people that the Lord's coming and salvation is coming and you need to be ready for the Lord's coming. Remember in our studies in the Gospel of John, that's exactly what we find John the Baptist doing. Make way the paths of the Lord. Make straight the ways of the Lord, for he's coming. The lamb, the lamb who's, who's paid the sins for, sins for the entire world is coming, he says. Make way for him. He's getting them ready. That's his mission. That's his purpose in life. And ultimately, as in verse 79 says, it's to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, which is serving God. And that was his mission. So, what does that mean to us? I hope you can see some application in those areas. But let's, let's do this. I'm going to just close with these two things. Number one, this Christmas, you know, amongst all the busyness, and we always say this because we have to remind ourselves not to get too busy, let us praise God for his gift of redemption and his gift of salvation. Again, think about 
what redemption means, as we just talked about. Think about what salvation means if you've experienced it. God has chosen to redeem you and me, taking you out of wrath and judgment and into his kingdom for all eternity. He saved you from the wrath of God and delivered you into his kingdom of light. And as I read in Revelation 22, that is your future, to serve God for all eternity. That's what Christmas means. Christ's coming inaugurated that, and at his second coming, we will fully experience that, fully consummated. Thirdly, so let's let this Christmas, let us praise God for his gift of redemption, salvation. And not only that, let's understand that we've been redeemed in order to serve God. So again, God redeemed you and saved you so that he might use you for his glory. Again, we are not redeemed and and saved in order to sit around and enjoy the benefits, which are great. But he wants us to serve him. He wants us to worship him. And And he has called us to tell others about him. That is our mission. And how that works out in our life is all different. Each and every one of us has a different role in the kingdom of God. But we're all called to serve. We're all called to worship. And we're all called to proclaim the Lord. In some way. So I wish I could tell you, hey, you know what? Your mission is to do this, and you're, you're told to do this. I, I can't do that. I don't, I don't have that gift. Maybe somebody does. You know, I would say just go out and do it and see how, see how it works for you. That's how I usually find out. What are you gifted at doing? What do you feel like the Lord is calling you to do? Take a step of faith and go out and do it and see what happens. I remember the first time I, I taught... I taught scripture. I was scared to no end. And you may have heard this story before. I'm sorry. Humor me. I think I was, I don't remember, maybe 20 years old. And one of the pastors at this church that I was kind of attending one of their studies was saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I think you should teach God's word. And I was like, well, you're crazy. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and he said, well, we have this ministry to a convalescent home. And we're like, I'd like you to come out and teach there. And I was like, no, no, thank you. He's like, well, just pray about it. And so I did, and I called up a couple weeks later and said, okay, I'm ready to do it. And that was, that was nerve-wracking. I'm like, what am I going to tell a bunch of people in a convalescent home? I, I have no idea what I'm going to say to them. And, and, and I obviously, I, just, I didn't just pick. There was a scripture on the Psalms or something on David, and I taught them, and they I don't know if they listened to me. I remember a few of them fighting out there with each other. You know, they wheeled them in too close to each other, and two old ladies were elbowing each other. And I was like, are they even listening to me? I don't, I don't even know, but I was so scared. But I did it. And uh, since then, I just felt like, hey, God's always called me to teach in some capacity. I taught fourth graders and then junior high and high school and, and eventually, obviously, a church. So, you know, All that to say is, hey, just go out and do it. Take a step of faith. God has called you to serve in some capacity. It might not be in teaching. It could be in something else. But we're all called to do something. He doesn't save us so that we could just sit in in the church and do nothing. I fully believe that. We're called to go serve somewhere. And so I encourage you to do that. So this Christmas, let us praise God for his redemption and his salvation. And again, remember, he did those so that we might serve him. And so this Christmas, let's share these truths with other people that redemption and salvation are still available for all people. 
as long as we have breath, let us tell other people about God's redemption and about his salvation. That is what Christmas is all about. Because we, like John the Baptist, can proclaim the knowledge of salvation to others. Right? Tell them that redemption has come. Tell them that salvation has come. Not just this Christmas season, but forever until the day that they die, they each have the ability to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that great message. Let's go out and proclaim it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you again for the great message of redemption and salvation that has come to each and every one of us who have received you. And I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody in this room this morning who has not received you, who has not experienced the redemption and salvation that you bring, that this morning would be the day that they would cry out to you and ask for your forgiveness, that they would believe that you have accomplished all things in redemption, regards to redemption and salvation for them, that they would trust in you as Lord and Savior. And Lord God, for those of us who have been redeemed and saved, Lord, that we would go out and serve you in some capacity. I pray, Lord God, this morning that you might make it clear to each and every person in what area of their life they can serve you in. I pray that you would give us the boldness this year to proclaim redemption and salvation to those people in our lives that we love, that we care about, and even to strangers, Lord God, that we meet, that you might open the door, that we might have an opportunity to share those great truths with them this Christmas season. And Lord God, we do praise you for Christmas because of what it means, because you've redeemed and saved us. And we thank you for that now, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.